postmodern and post-Christian are both terms that the, the church seriously needs to retire. We're going to the world to tell them who we are, and we're not going to the world to present who God is. A world in which so much is focused on building walls and keeping people out. An alternative way to live is to live by... It's almost like raising up white flag and saying, Ah! It's all the secular people's fault and no one's listening or coming to our evangelistic campaign. How can we redesign Adventism to be effective at reaching emerging Western culture? That's what the Story Church podcast is all about. Adventism Redesigned. Hi everyone, it's Pastor uh, Marcus here and I want to welcome you back to another episode of the Story Church Podcast. I am excited guys and I know I say that before every episode but I, I don't know like it just I get excited and I'm excited definitely for this episode uh, where we're going to be talking about three more simple ways to love your youth. Now if you remember just a few episodes back We talked about the three simple ways to love your youth. Today, we're going to talk about three more. And uh, I'm not just excited because of the topic. I'm excited also because I am sitting down here on my computer talking with the Associate Youth Director here in the WA Conference, Western Australia Conference, um, Amy Turner. And uh, Amy, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Oh, man, I'm super stoked. Like We've actually been trying to organize this for some time now. Uh, and it's really exciting to be able to sit down for a few minutes and uh, pick your brain on some of these really cool uh, themes, especially as it relates to our youth. But before we get to that, um, I just want to ask if you would tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, yeah, so I am um, married. My husband's name is Scott and he's an emergency nurse which is very far from what I do. And I'm glad there's people in the world that are willing to do that because that's definitely not my forte, blood and guts and all that (laughs) kind of stuff. I hear you. Yeah, not my thing. But um, yeah, and we have um, twin boys. So that's um, interesting. They're three years old. And um, look, I wouldn't change it for the world. Twins are pretty crazy, but they're beautiful and I love them. and we have another baby coming on the way. So, by, yeah, and I'm just 38 weeks pregnant. So, you know, if I need to go at any time. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, Man, yeah, all good, of- dude, all good. Yes, if you, if you need to go, you know, just let us know. And we'll hit pause and continue later on, I suppose. That's exciting, Amy. Wow. Yeah, exciting. Any minute now. Yeah, it's kind of like that time frame where it's like it could be tomorrow but it could also be another you know week or two so it's kind of like that little bit of that awkward time frame where you're not really sure how far to plan in advance that's right yeah Yeah. now let me ask you this because obviously you've given birth before you had had, you had the twins Mm. um now i i know for me you know when we were having kids when candace was um pregnant with both our boys uh, for me the biggest stressor was always um just the fear that that they would go past the do they you know what i mean i don't know, like some some people like freak out that they'll come before i was more of like the guy who freaked out that they'd come after because yeah. i feel like leading up to the due date you have some semblance of you know this is the time frame but then once they pass the due date there's just no telling you know <laughs> so i don't know which which one do you reckon is, is stre- would stress you out the most is it like well, will they come too soon or too late well, interesting that you say that because this is a completely different experience for me because my twin boys actually came at 28 weeks. That's right, so yeah. 12 weeks early. Um, yeah, so they were quite premature and we they were in hospital um, in the intensive care for three months before we could take them home. So this is a completely different experience for me, being able to get to full <laughs> term. So, yeah, um, yeah. It's hard to answer because obviously I've I've had this, the other extreme. That's right. And so this time round, um, I'm just excited to have kind of made it this far. <laughs> and yeah, um, I haven't really contemplated going over because it's just, oh, look, it can happen, but I just kind of even haven't contemplated it because <laughs> of the fact that it's so remarkably different to my last experience. So, yeah, absolutely, yeah. man. So, hey, you know what? Let's just thank God that, uh, you know, the, the, the oven is still going oh, and, <laughs> and you're almost there. You're almost there, man. We're, we're going to be um, praying for you, for you guys. Uh, it's, it's really exciting um, 
to to have another another Turner entering the world. That's really yeah. really cool. So yeah. I'm I'm sure you guys are beside the moon and can't wait. Now I've got one more question for you before yeah. we dive into our topic. I always have a dumb question um, before we we get into our overall sort of theme. Um, and, and your question today is, is one I haven't asked before. Sometimes I repeat the questions, but this one is unique. Um, I haven't hey. asked this one before. And I might ask it a few more times because I feel like it can generate some pretty um, hilarious answers. Um, <laughs> but if you had to be, here's the question. <clears throat> if you had to be handcuffed to one person for an entire month, so you're stuck with this person for the whole month, uh -huh. uh, who would it be? Um... It probably sounds really strange, but it'd probably be my husband. And the reason why is that, I don't know if you can relate, but when you've been married for a while and you've both got really busy lifestyles, sometimes it would be nice just to be like, here, we have to be. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> because like, Oh, this is a brilliant, I was, I was, I was like, was like where's she headed with this? Where's she going? Where's she going? Yes. <laughs> like we have to have some quality time. And yeah. For a month. <laughs> I hear you, man. I hear you. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah, yeah. That's a brilliant answer. That's a that's a really really good answer. So look, you gotta make sure he he hears this. All right, like he's he's gotta he's gotta hear this so that uh, he can he can laugh along with us. But hey, that's that's yeah, that's a good answer. Um, and it, for an entire month, and there's no way you can wiggle out of it, right? So work, whatever, it doesn't matter. You're stuck yeah. together yeah. for a whole month. Yeah. How cool would that be? Yeah. Wow, that is awesome. Great answer, Amy. Uh, once again, look, thanks for uh, thanks for hanging out at the Story Chairs podcast. Um, for those of you who are listening, thanks for uh, hanging out with us again for another week. Um, now, if you guys remember, uh, just a few weeks ago, we published an episode titled, as I mentioned before, Three Simple Ways to Love Your Youth, where I interviewed uh, Martin and Alina Van Rensburg from, um, from Over East. And we talked about the Growing Young Project, um, which is a book. Uh, phenomenal book and I really encourage people to buy it and read it during that episode and if you haven't bought it and read it yet uh, what are you waiting for like seriously buy it and read it it's absolutely amazing beautiful book um, with some really key principles where the researchers rather than asking why do young people leave they asked why do they stay and then they poured into figuring out you know like what are the churches that are really um, discipling and equipping their young people to do awesome things for God. And they, they followed these churches around and they interviewed them and they studied them and they found these six key things in all of them. And that's what the book is about. So if your church is struggling with its young people to retain its young people, to, to even reach young people altogether, get the book guys, get the book. Um, but when I was uh, just a few weeks ago with Martin and Alina, we talked about three of the six keys. And, and there are six keys that the book explores. Um, and so the actual like subtitle of the book is um, Six Essential Strategies to Help Young People Discover and Love Your Church. That's the actual subtitle of the book. So we only got through three of them, Amy. Uh, we were only able to talk about keychain leadership, uh, warm relationships, and best neighbors. And if you're listening to this right now and you're like, I have no idea what you're talking about, go back and listen to that episode because um, I'm not going to re-explain all that. But Amy, there were three we weren't able to get to. Yep. And I want to pick your brain on them because I know that this growing young thing is something you were passionate about as well. Yes. Um, as an assistant youth director and just as a as a as a young person in our church who's passionate about youth people uh, or young people altogether um, mm. and so i want to pick your brain on these next three how does that sound yeah no that sounds great all right fantastic so um like i said we got through three of them um and those were keychain leadership which was this idea of instead of centralizing authority within the church um empowering young people to yes. have a voice, right? To have authority within the church. So we'll move past that one because we did that one already. Mm -hmm. uh, we talked about warm relationships. So it was this was the idea that instead of focusing on cool worship programs, um, aim for like really intimate relationships between yeah. the generations, which is yeah. powerful okay. stuff. Yeah. yeah. And then the last one, Best Neighbors, that we talked about was about developing a church culture where instead of condemning the world outside, you're actually enabling your young people to interact meaningfully with with their neighbors with their community and to make a difference there yeah. um now the other three that we weren't able to talk about was um empathy today yeah um and so we'll we'll, we'll go into that one in a second um jesus message 
yeah. and prioritize everywhere. Now, those are sort of the the, the category headlines, but e- each of them are a little bit deeper than just the headline. Yeah. Um, so let's let's go for empathy today. You want to start with that one? Yeah, no, that sounds good. Yep. Okay, sweet. So empathy today. So the, the, the full thing, the full idea here, again, one of the keys that churches that are doing really well at retaining young people is that they empathize with today's young people. That's a key, right? Like that's something that the researchers found. Like, wow, these churches that are doing really well, they empathize with today's young people. So I want to ask you, like, why, from your experience as a young person and also as an associate youth director, like, why would empathy be so important that it would end up as one of the keys in this research project? Yeah, yeah, no, good question. I think um, a huge part of that is that young people can often feel quite segregated from older generations and so when older generations take time to show that empathy and be like you know what we don't necessarily get it but we want to and we want to help you along that journey i think that goes a huge way for a young person to realize hey they may not get it but they want to um yeah I know that there's, um, I think it's a statement within the book that says um, it's about older generations sitting on the curb of life with the young person through the ups and downs. It's something along those lines. And I love that imagery that you're just getting down mm. with them at their level and trying to work out what's actually going on in their life and in their generation and how can we show support through that. Yeah. Now, this, this kind of like, I couldn't agree more. And, and you're right. Like, I love that image. It, mm-hmm. you know, that, that it's, it's the mental picture is just so, yeah, um, yeah. so beautiful. I, I, I'm kind of sort of forced to ask because, again, this is a book that's been published where they're looking at what are the things that, you know, are keeping young people because lots of churches aren't retaining mm-hmm. their young people. Um, but you know, each of these points in the book, and, and in particular, I think this one leaps out at me, is like, this almost seems like it should be something we're already doing, but mm. according to the book, it's not actually that common in our local churches. Like, we don't generally empathize with today's young people. Um, the experience is that most of them feel judged and criticized. Yes. Um, so why do you think that is? Like why, I mean, it seems like common sense, right? Empathize, like, of course, <laughs> what a beautiful idea, but why do we maybe struggle so much? Why isn't this the norm, I guess? I, I actually think it's in some ways because the generations are so different. Like, I mean, these days you've got social media, you've got all sorts of things that are happening in our young people's lives that is so often far removed from older generations. It's more, I think, older generations um, are almost scared in some ways. They don't really know how to empathise, if that makes sense. Like, Mm. I um, I think in their head they would like to, but they almost don't know what to say a lot of the time. And then because of that, the younger generations take that, oh, they don't want anything to do with us, they're judging us, they're this and that. And so it's kind of like a, I kind of feel a bit, a bit of a misunderstanding between the generations that kind of causes that gap and lack of empathy, which may not be the intention, but what happens within the church. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. I think that's a really, really good observation. Now, look, I, I, um, like as a, as a pastor, mm. uh, I see these sorts of things quite often. Um, I'm, I'm blessed right now to work in two churches that really value their young people, which is beautiful. And, mm. you know, we've got work to do. There's ways we could do better. Um, but we certainly value our young people. And, um, but I've, I've grown up in, in, in the church, you know, my mom and dad, Adventist since the day we were born you know Mm. my dad was raised sort of in and out of the Adventist church and my mom was actually going to be a nun I don't know if you knew that oh I Um, didn't know that yeah she was going to be a nun Uh, she was raised Catholic and when she was 17 she was like oh I want to be a nun and her mom which who was a diehard Catholic herself refused to sign the paperwork because she was too young to do herself 
So the mom refused to do it. And then by the time she was old enough to do it herself, she was like, nah. So I often tell people like I'm single. My, my grandmother is responsible for my birth. Um, so <laughs> thanks grandma. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, so yeah, but like, so I grew up in, in, in church and like, I grew up in a church with lots and lots of young people. Um, and I've often said in the podcast here in the past, um, and look, I'm, the number may not be 100% accurate, but it's certainly, there was close to like a hundred young people. Like, and I'm thinking back, you know, like our adventurers club, our pathfinders club, like we would fill out our church basement with just one of those clubs, you know? Um, <clears throat> so it, it was, it was quite a big youth group and there's very few of us left in church today. And I can so really right yeah yeah that's right yeah and and this issue of empathizing with today's young people definitely a variable that was at play there was we did feel judged most of the time um now i want to ask you this question because i feel like i want to speak on behalf of i i I sort of want to be the voice of the older generation in our church in this conversation and maybe try my best to interact with this from their perspective maybe what they would say um, yes. so it seems to me from the conversations I, I remember even having from back then is that they would say that their primary responsibility is to uphold God's standards mm-hmm. and that if that offends us, then, then that's not their problem. Right? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'm being kind of, kind of too mean and too cutting. I don't know that they would say it that harshly. Um, but there's certainly like this tension between, should I empathize with today's young people or should I, or should I be really upfront and just say, this is the standard and that's, you know, that's what you have to. Sorry. In them, always um, one or the other. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what do we do with that tension? Because like, I agree, like, you know, obviously God has, you know, standards if we want to use that word. I'm not a big fan of the word, but you know, um, for the sake of simplicity. Um, but yeah. How do you balance that out? How do how do you be a local church that really values what what God calls us to, but at the same time empathizes with your youth, despite the fact that they may not be anywhere near that, what, what you perceive as God's standard. Like, I don't know if that makes any sense. I feel like I butchered that. But. <laughs> yeah, I definitely agree with what you're saying is that, yeah, sometimes there is that, okay, there's an ideal and, you know, we've got to uphold those biblical truths and those values. And if our young people don't appear on the outside to be doing that, then we got to, make sure that that happens and as a result that comes across as judgment i mean even things like you know young people are in that that age where they're trying to work out who they are um where they fit um their identity and their belonging and all that kind of stuff and as a result sometimes they do go through stages of you know dressing differently or trying to work out how to define them themselves and so from the outside from an older person's perspective um that's them pushing the boundaries and trying to be a a rebel or whatever we we call it whereas a lot of the time it's actually them just trying to find out who they are and what and what they believe and all that kind of stuff and i so i think providing space for them to be able to wrestle um Mm with those big questions of who they are is actually probably the best place for the old generation to start because once they find those answers um, in God's community and in God's word, um, then they're going to be able to to find that sense of fulfillment. And some of those, I guess, annoying characteristics that sometimes the older generations feel that younger generations have, soon can sometimes dissipate because they end up finding out those true values. Does that, mm. does that make sense? I think yeah. it's um, first and foremost, just letting them have a space to work out who they are um, and, and where they fit in God's picture. Mm. Um, and that in itself is then creating that space of empathy and discovering themselves so kind of what i hear you saying amy is that um those who are in the older generation the 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 beauty that they bring to this whole conversation over youth ministry and youth discipleship um Mm. is that they they can bring their um 
their wisdom, their experience, and their insight and be mentors Definitely. to our to our young people. And 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 I feel like maybe that's sometimes what some of some of them are aiming for, but they don't know how to be mentors, so they end up being lecturers. <laughs> yeah. um, at least in in our they experience, share all yeah. advice, and this is what you should do instead of um, um, being a mentor is is being able to I guess ask the right questions and to be able to listen. And advice is definitely a part of the process, but it's not the first part. And I think that's sometimes where we go wrong in our church, where we are happy to share all the advice in the world. But that's not necessarily true mentorship. A big part of it is listening first. Absolutely. And you know what? Like, I, I want to make something really clear here as well, because obviously I'm talking about a little bit of my experience growing up in my church and sort of how we were approached by some in the older generation and, and kind of what ended up happening was there 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 it created this giant tension between the older and younger generation mm. that was it was almost like we, we were each other's enemy right mm. um but i do i want to i want to clarify like two things that i think are important like number one there were a good chunk of people in the older generation who were remarkably amazing um and who, who I believe are very influential in the reason why I'm even here today, right? Like still following God, like some mm -hmm. of these older people, the, these were the ones who would invite you to your, their home to eat before they criticized you. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, they, they, they took the time to get to know you. And sometimes I think it's like, it's that simple. Like, you know, just take the time to get to know the young people, to show them that they, that they are of incalculable value. Um, and, and, and oftentimes that simple act alone can open up so many amazing opportunities for discipleship that opportunities that you shut the door on when you're, when you just lecture, you know? Um, and the other thing before, before we dive into the next one, and, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this as well, um, from your observation is that I grew up in a migrant church. Mm. Um, and, and I really want to emphasize the importance of this particularly for migrant churches. This is important in every church, but particularly for migrant churches because what tends to happen in migrant churches is you have the first-generation migrants who come to this new country and they establish their church, uh, and then their young people are not being raised in with the same context that the parents were raised with. Mm -hmm. um, and so, for example, if you had you know parents who came from Latin America and now they're living in New Jersey, which is where I was raised, um, what ends up happening is the parents bring the ethos and the and and sort of the culture of their home country into their church life and because the young people are being raised in a totally different country with a totally different culture the divide ends up being enormous um and so you know i just i i, I guess it just kind of crossed my mind like hey you know is this i don't know if you've seen this because we, we certainly you know everywhere you go in the world there's 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 this tension where you've you've got the sort of migrant communities of faith that are bustling up but then they're raising kids in a totally different context. Mm -hmm. um, and at least in my experience, I feel like those communities need to do an even harder or, or be like an even greater commitment to really listening and yeah. journeying with your young people because they're, the gap that divides them is even bigger. Does that make sense? No, that makes sense. And I think, um, yeah, but particularly in Australia, like we're a very multicultural um, society. And so that's really important to take into consideration as well, because like you say, um, the gap is already big, but when you are incorporating cultural differences and being brought up in, in different cultures, really, um, from the generations, it kind of creates that larger gap. And so being even more intentional in getting alongside young people and working out where they're at um, and how you can support and mentor and provide space for them to find out who they are um, in their culture and in their generation, I think is, is critical. Yeah. Awesome, man. Now, before we move on to our next question, uh, I wanted to get maybe a little bit personal. Mm. Um, when we talk about empathizing with today's young people, uh, yeah. I'm curious, um, if you can sort of think back through the memory bank of your, uh, of your years, <laughs> yeah. um, is there someone as you grew up in church, in church culture, uh, from the older generation that empathized with you? Yeah. Um, even uh, the first person that actually comes comes to mind, um, and it's a bit of a different situation, but I used to, um, 
I used to do some um, worship leading and stuff um, when I was a young person, like a teen. And obviously sometimes when um, the, the teens and the younger people do the worship, it might be a different style that some of the younger, older ones are used to. And I remember um, an old lady um, in our church community writing me a letter and just saying, thank you so much for your for your worship over the weekend it's not a style that i connect with um but i just i really appreciate the fact um that you are sharing your heart of worship with our uh, church community and for me that really showed that empathy that she she didn't get it herself and there was a large gap between our generations but she was taking the time to bridge that gap and say thank you for being a part of our church community and to, and contributing so for me it was just that that little it was you know one of those cute little old lady cards yeah, but yeah. Me, that was a huge thing and it was a way for her to bridge that gap and to show that empathy and connection so that's powerful man and and i love that you told this story because what it highlights is that when it comes to ideas like what we're talking about like empathizing with young people like you don't need to go to university and get a phd on this like it's really simple stuff you know yeah. it's 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 really about listening coming together l learning to see the world the way they see it and, and just appreciating them and, and, you know, reaching out in, in love and just, yeah, relationship, right? Building relationship. Like it's so simple and yeah. so powerful. Like, you know, inviting a young people over your house for, you know, for a pizza. I mean, you have no idea oftentimes how powerful that simple, silly act um, on the surface can really be. Great of that, how both generations benefit from that. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, yeah. let's, let's jump on to um, the next one. Like, I feel like we could go on and on with that. <laughs> it's, it's powerful stuff. Like it really is. It, it, I, I love the fact that it's so simple and it's so powerful. Um, so I want to, I want to jump on to our next, uh, the other, the other key. Um, so empathizing with young people was one of them. The other one was um, Jesus message. Now the idea behind this one is that Churches that are retaining young people are not like there's sort of this myth that flows around, you know, the sort of church um, youth ideas. Uh, I've heard many of them over the years that if you want to retain young people, you've got to water down the gospel and you've got to make it really sort of like, you know, easy and I don't know, almost cheesy. But what yep. they found in the Growing Young program or project was actually the opposite that the churches that are retaining they're young people. They're actually taking the message of Jesus very seriously. Like they're not watering it down at all. Mm. Um, so I wanted to sort of bounce back and forth with that because I know that that's a conversation that people often say, oh, if you want young people to, you know, uh, you know, when the moment you come to your church and you say, oh, let's attract young people, some people's like red flags go up like, oh, no, <laughs> it's about yeah. to get real shallow around here. Um, yeah. How do you feel about that? Like with this whole idea of taking Jesus message seriously why is that so valuable yeah i think it's um it's so interesting and so significant because it definitely i i know it's still something that churches think and believe that you know what anything youth related as soon as you rock up to a youth event it's just all go, going to be grace and love and unicorns you know like it's all just going to be nice <laughs> There's nothing deep, but the, the reality is is that young people are actually searching. They're searching for, for answers. And like I mentioned last um, in the last one about how young people are wanting to know where they fit and where they belong and all those kind of things, they're on a journey of really wrestling with those hard questions in life and you're not going to get them by the warm and fuzzy answers you're only going to get them by digging deep into what god's word says yeah. and so they're gonna be able to get those answers by going deeper than the shallow surface level and that's often what they want absolutely now talk to me a little bit about this because this is something that i've heard i haven't interacted with it too much maybe you have um, so I've heard this idea, um, or this statistic perhaps is a better word mm. to use here, 
that a lot of our young people, when they leave church, um, it tends to happen when when they when they leave their home church and they get into university and they're confronted with ideas that they can't interact with because you know they've been raised with sort of maybe formulaic gospel and you know sort of cheesy one-liners and so now they're in university and they're confronted with you know atheism and critical theory and you know all of these like really deep and intelligent <laughs> and yeah, and it's almost and like oh no what do i do with this and they start to lose their faith is that is that something you've interact with because i'd love to hear a little bit more about that um, definitely, I would have to agree with that um, statistic. Like growing young, definitely mentions that it's often between that um, that changeover from high school into to university. Like you just mentioned, that often that's where we lose them, and for multiple reasons. But one being because they are faced with the real world and what real people in society believe. And like you just mentioned, a lot of it is comes from that intellectual front, and so they're like yeah definitely overwhelmed by that and I think often when young people start to to question um, often the church we get scared by that like oh my goodness mm. they're doubting they're asking questions like this isn't good and we can kind of get um, a bit antsy about that whereas instead of being afraid of the fact that they're questioning realizing hey actually this is a really cool thing this yeah. is a great thing that they're asking these questions because by asking them and then providing a space where they can wrestle with them in that kind of safe church biblical environment um then they're going to own their faith aren't they that's um, right yeah so i think often yeah we don't need to be scared of young people questioning we actually need to embrace it and see it as a good thing and a chance for them to grow to that next level of understanding because they will find too that they can have an intellectual faith as well as a spiritual faith because god's word is you know it is intellectual as well as spiritual like it's got the beautiful balance between the two absolutely yeah and you know i'd add that um you know sort of thinking back to being a young person myself that um i'm not you know i'm 33 now so those days are over but anyway um <laughs> um i think as well and i'd love to know what you think about this that one of the things that frustrated me when i was a teenager in church um it, it wasn't simply you know the sort of the culture that didn't really like questions but it was it was also a culture that would never admit when it was wrong yeah um and and I've learned that over the years, like young people are not going to think any less of you as a church leader if you are like, hey, you know what? I need to look at this more. Maybe there's something I can learn here. Maybe I'm wrong, right? Uh, mm -hmm. What do you think about that? I think that just shows that real authenticity. You know, sometimes we don't have the answer. Like I know sometimes if young people ask me a, a question that it is a bit of a curly one, I'll be like, hey, I'd actually don't know how to answer that in in the fullest at this point but let me get back to you and I think that just shows that to them that it's all an authentic answer that it's not you just sprouting off something um and giving a good um Sabbath school answer if you know what I mean yeah. but actually just grappling <laughs> with it and I think that I think that shows um I guess that respect between the relationship between the, the person asking and the person receiving the question as well. So I definitely don't think there's a problem with that. In fact, I think a lot of the time it's better if we actually take a step back, look at the question in depth and often come back to the person because we're going to be able to provide um, a more authentic answer when we do. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that's like that's really powerful. You know, it's, it's really powerful when... Um... Yeah, when you can actually say to someone, hey, look, I, I don't know, or I mm. had this perspective and, and maybe it's not quite right. Because the thing is, like, the moment you come across as I'm unwilling to even consider the possibility that I might be wrong, that's when you lose a lot of young people. Yeah, it comes because, across as arrogant. Yeah, exactly. And it, it, it comes across as arrogant. I think in, in some cases as well, it comes across as insecure. 
Yeah. Um, because yeah. like if you're secure in your faith, like you don't have anything to be afraid of. But if you're insecure, <laughs> it's like, no, don't ask too many questions. and <laughs> Don't rock the boat too much. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, like, you know, if you're 100% certain your boat's not going to sink, like rock it all you want, you know? Like, <laughs> and I think that's what faith is, right? Like God wants us to really have such a confidence in, in the magnitude of who he is that we can rock the boat uh, without fear that we're going to sink and drown, you know? Because Jesus isn't afraid that you're going to rock the boat because he knows, you know, he has the truth and he, you know, so he doesn't, he's not afraid of us asking questions either because he knows how to bring us through that. So, yeah. Absolutely. I, I just remembered, um, just, to, I want, I, just a quick little story um, <laughs> because I, like I like to give, you know, everyone who's listening to the podcast, some, some sort of practical things to imagine, uh, possibilities that you can, you can pursue. And, and I just remembered a friend of mine, um, who, uh, who started attending a local church that basically had no young people mm -hmm. and it was really, really dying. The leaders were tired, you know, they were old and, um, they, they, they were ready to, you know, to see what, what God had for them in the next season. Cause they knew what they were doing wasn't working. So, <laughs> um, which is a good thing, like that willingness to be that transparent and admit, okay, what we're doing is it because, you know, like some people would rather their church die than admit that what they're doing isn't working. But I commend this church for <laughs> having the courage to say, yeah, it's not working. What, what does God have in store for us? So what they did, which was actually really brilliant, was they started hosting a series of afternoon talks where yep. it was the, the, the members of the church, which were primarily older generations, and the young people that were starting to come or that they would invite. And the whole objective behind these talks is that they simply wanted to understand young people. Mm. And, and for me, it's like, wow, mm. like what an amazing thing, you know, um, they, they wanted to understand young people and, um, and they got to know them. And like the last time I spoke to one of the guys who attended there, he's like, look, there's lots of young people. They're really active. And, you know, the, the, the older generation that's there, they're the they're key chain leaders, you know, they're empowering us, they're mentoring us, they're encouraging us. They don't always dig what we do. You know, there is that generational gap, but they're there and they're just like behind. And to me, it's like, wow. Wow. That's, and the local church listening, like if you're looking for at least one practical thing you can do to empathize and to emphasize the message of jesus there's there's one thing you can do right there right just sit down and talk there's nothing like a table it's just, they're, they're magical you know <laughs> that is awesome that's a brilliant example now amy i have another question for you because when it comes to jesus message yeah taking jesus message seriously um there are two sort of opposing extremes that tend to bounce back and forth Mm -hmm. And I find it really hard to move on to the next one without at least, you know, uh, rocking this a little bit. <laughs> um, I, 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 I like to stir the pot probably a little bit too much. But no, I think I think this is meaningful. I think it is. Um, so there's this sense in which we agree that, you know, we, we should not be watering down the gospel. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't work. Number one, young people aren't looking for that. Um, young people are looking for something meaningful. And, and you can see this even in, in the non-churchy world, uh, you know, the, yeah. the, the outside world. So like, you know, who led the Freedom Riders? It was a youth-led movement, right? They were getting beaten. They were going to prison, you know. <laughs> the Freedom Riders were primarily young people who were fighting for the equality, racial equality in America. And, um, and just a few years ago, you can think back to the Arab Springs, I mean, that was all young people. Um, and if you want to go back into sort of like a Western context, you can think back to Occupy Wall Street, you know, mm -hmm. um, or Black Lives Matter. Like these are primarily youth-led movements that cost these young people a whole lot to be involved in, and yet they're there. And, and, and you can see they're not looking for easy. They're looking for meaningful. Um, but I've also encountered this idea that some people feel like, okay, young people don't want, you know, they're not after... Um, these sugar-coated sugar -coated yeah. sermons, mm. but there's there's sense there seems to be this trend or this this idea within the church that because we recognize that young people are not looking for sugar-coated sermons, 
that this somehow justifies the really, you know, sort of doom and gloom, judgmental, fire and brimstone type of preaching that has honestly one of the things that has pushed many young people out of the church. The other extreme. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So how do we balance between, you know, being shallow on the one hand and mm. being like sour? You know, so so let me let me put it this way. So the the, the, the metaphors line up being being sugar coated on one side and being like sour coated on the other. Yeah, because either extreme is going to chase young people away. <laughs> and, Absolutely. <laughs> look, I like I don't know if this sounds like a bit of a, an easy way to answer it to a hard question, but like I really think it just comes down to, to Jesus. Because if Jesus is in the, the center of your theology, you're going to get that happy medium of truth, but also that beauty of, of the grace that mm. the Bible talks about. And so, um, yes, there is, there is judgment. All of that kind of stuff is still truth, but focusing on that then leaves out the grace and once again it's that that balance between the two and only focusing on jesus can you get that balance wow yeah so say it louder say it louder <laughs> no that's powerful go on sorry yeah. there you go that's how i would answer your question <laughs> that's awesome i i could not agree more i love the way you phrase that like everything we say if if we center it in the person of christ mm. we will we will always have the the middle between you know that we won't be cheesy on the one hand or, or or you know harsh on the other but we'll find always in the person of jesus the perfect balance between okay. those two yeah. yeah that's a really good encouragement thanks for that amy we're gonna move on to the last one are you ready yes <laughs> okay so the last one this is uh number six we've covered all six of them now with the last one coming along so once again, if you guys missed the interview with Martin and Alina, go back and check that one out. You'll get the first three that we talked about. Um, but now I'm here with Amy and we're going to hit number six. And this will cover um, all the different keys in the Growing Young project. Uh, mm -hmm. So the last one, the heading is priority everywhere. But let me you know, read a little bit from their um, blurb here just to... Um, or prioritize everywhere is the heading. But here's their, here's their blurb that explores that a little bit more. It says, prioritize young people and families everywhere. Instead of giving lip service to how much young people matter, look for creative ways to tangibly support, resource, and involve them in all facets of your congregation. All right. So prioritizing young people everywhere. Mm. Um, yeah, that, that seems like a really important one. From your from your perspective, Amy, from from your experience, from your thoughts as a as a young person in the church, as a, as a youth leader in the church, what what exactly does this idea of prioritizing young people everywhere mean? Um, I think from a church perspective, just really practically, it's asking the question of in every part of church life, like, is a young people is a young person contributing to this, and if not, why? And how can we make them a part of it? Like, I think that just comes down to the practical of um, involving young people and equipping them and mentoring them so that they can be part of every part of our church community because they bring so much joy to that and so much expertise. And sometimes we think, oh, it's more, oh, we've got to involve them because we should but when you actually do it, realizing that they have so much value and brings, yeah, so much joy to those things. I mean, young people are intellectual, smart people. When we bring them in into those parts of our church community, they're actually going to add a lot of benefit to those. Yeah, that's a that's a really well said, I, and and I couldn't agree more. Like it's it's really about looking at all the different facets of our church. Um, because you're right, like there tends to be, all right, so going back to, you know, sort of my experience and I'm speaking on behalf of lots of young people that I've talked to over the years as well. Um, you know, you're a young person. There's like these, these, these preset jobs that you can do. And then there's the ones that you can't. So like, 
you're a young person. Yeah, we'll let you collect the offering. You know, yeah. <laughs> but anything more meaningful than it's that, exactly. <laughs> and so, like, yeah, like most churches have no youth representation at the board, yeah. for example, or um, elders, or you know, sig- like those significant roles. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And mm-hmm. and I understand that there are some roles where you need wisdom. You know, yeah. and I get that. Um, but even at the very least, you can have a mentorship role within those spaces. So like, you know, some churches, for example, will have their elders team and then they, they have a youth elder, you know, yeah. which is sort of like an elder that's being mentored. It's a young person who's being mentored to, to yeah. eventually be uh, a, an elder. Um, and it's the same with deacons. You'll have your deacons team and then you'll have like your junior deacons who are being mentored along yeah. the way. Um, and so I think even if you're looking at positions that require maybe some wisdom or resources, you know, that, you know, you wouldn't make the head deacon a a 15 year old with no car because that would be awkward for him, but still having a space where they're being mentored and they know like the church is looking at them and it's like, we're going to hand the keys over to you soon. And we want to equip you for this. It's powerful. Now there's, there's this quote in the book. I want to read this one. I just want to get your thoughts. Mm. Now this is one of those kind of like, in between the eyes, like, ouch. (laughs) Um, It says this, if you want to know the priorities of a church, look at their budget. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I do remember reading that one. (laughs) That's like a boom, drop the mic kind of moment. Um, (laughs) Okay. In relation to this whole thing about young people and prioritizing young people. um, Yeah. What What do we, what do we say about this budget thing? Like, do I think it's true? Is that what you're asking? Yeah. Do you think it's Do you think it's true? Yeah. Let's start there. Um. Yeah, I think to a, a large extent, it is true, because, well, even just like biblically, where we put our money is where our heart is, right? Absolutely. <laughs> so yeah. it kind of shows where the heart of the church really lies. And what I know that you said before that so often it's that that lip service thing. Yeah, oh, we we love our young people, but if we're not investing not only in time but also investing financially, um, then how can we say we we really are um, investing? Yet on the flip side of that, obviously a huge part of the growing young principles is warm communities and intergenerational relationships and a lot of that doesn't take money either a lot of that is just pure relationship Mm -hmm. and so I would agree to it to a big extent but I also think that you can also do it really well without having to have a lot of money either yeah that's true and and you certainly can't fix issues in your church like say there's issues with the youth by just throwing money at it either exactly the, yeah the, those warm relationships that intergenerational community um, that, that really has to be yeah yeah absolutely now there is one area in this whole well two things uh, years ago i remember attending a church where um the pastor was preaching and he said that um this is a church in new jersey and uh he said that research has shown conclusively that um most young people who have not made a decision to follow Jesus by the time they're around 12 years old. I think it was the research. I could be wrong. It might be a little younger, or a little older, but definitely in that range. It's around there. It's yep. definitely around that age. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So you've heard it as well. Like if they haven't made their decision by then, chances are they never will. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he made a really good point. He's like, but when you look at our church budget, most of our money goes toward things to do with adults. Mm-hmm. And hardly any of it goes toward things to do with kids. And yeah. it's like, we recognize that it's a lot easier to lead someone to Christ before they're 12 and they'll stay there than it is to reach someone, you know, after. But then we don't invest hardly into into that space. Um, and, and I think what you said earlier is, is, is a good balance in that conversation as well. Because obviously, like, you know, like money is not going to solve everything if you don't have those relational aspects. Um, but, but what do you, what do you think about that? Like oftentimes, you know, like we'll spend thousands and thousands of dollars on things to do with adults. And then the children's ministry is like, 
you know, we need some money to buy some markers. <laughs> yeah, right together to buy crayons. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> like we need to do a, what, what is that a fundraiser? Yeah. yeah. What, what do you think about that? Oh, I think, um, yeah, unfortunately it is a huge reality, not just at local church level, but even as you go up, um, within, within the church and how it works at least within the Adventist church, I think that's definitely um, can be the case. And, you know, we can spend all this money on evangelistic programs and all this money, but, you know, our, our kids, that, they are the next generation. And not only the next generation, but what Growing Young really emphasizes is that they're the generation of the church now. Mm. And so the investing in them now um, because once we nurture them and guide them, then we're not going to have the bigger problem at the other end where we need to invest so much in, in adults because they've been nurtured from the very beginning. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And and I feel like, yeah, I, I kind of feel like that's the tension, right? Like we haven't gotten it right in the past. And so now we need to spend exorbitant amounts of money to maybe <laughs> recover a, <laughs> a little bit of what we've lost. But then you're in a catch-22 because then you're repeating the same same mistake um, while trying to, to correct the previous one. Um, mm. There was there was another there was another thought. Uh, boy, it just completely slipped my mind. Um, with with regarding to the whole idea of you know like prior oh yes with prioritizing young people, um, just sort of like a a practical tip, I guess. Um, and and I'd love to uh, in a minute, um, Amy, to just get you know maybe you know one one practical tip from you that local churches maybe some things you've observed as a youth director uh, mm. can do to um, you know. Uh, empathize with their young people and, and, you know, prioritize them. Um, but, but one thing that I've shared with my churches is, uh, and I've seen this in the past and boy, does it irk the living daylights out of me. And, and I, and I've shared it with my leaders and told them, whatever you do, don't do this. <laughs> um, it's when you go to like board or business meeting and everyone's presenting their budgets and, you know, their, you know, the things that they need. And it's like, oh, yep, yeah, oh, yep, yeah, oh, yep. Yeah. And then when the young people present theirs, there's like this extra layer of scrutiny that all of a sudden emerges that wasn't there for everybody else, you know? Yeah. Um, and I don't know that people necessarily notice that they're doing that, but like I certainly notice it. And it irks me because it's like, you know, we, we've got a, someone messaged me the other day uh, and, and, you know, email and said, you know, we, we got to trust our young people not to crash the car, you know? Yeah. And, and when we have this culture where it's like, oh, yeah, everyone, yeah, that's your budget. Okay, yeah, $500 for you, 2000 for you. Oh, what? The youth need $800? Well, what for? And what exactly are you going to use that for? And how exactly is that going to benefit the church? It's like, really? <laughs> Don't do that. Anyways, that's my, uh, <laughs> that's my practical tip. It, it does happen, yeah. It does. It's, and it's not cool, hey? It's like, it's kind of like a, like a, ouch, slap. You know. Yeah, I think it's that feeling of like, well, we're responsible with money, but young people, they're not responsible with money. So yeah. how are they going to be able to use it effectively? Whereas sometimes we just need to like, we and a lot of the um, the key principles, they interact because that's key chain leadership as well as prioritizing as well as, you know, like they do all um, interact with each other. Mm. Um, so it's a part of giving them those keys and, and trusting them that, they um, can give it a good go, but mentoring the process so that they've got people that they can learn from in how to, to work responsibly. Absolutely, man. The mentorship thing has got to be, in my opinion, I don't know if you'll agree here, I, I think it's kind of like the holy grail. Yeah, it's pretty much mentioned in every single one of the, the priorities. Um, That's with, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely like, man, if we can learn how to come close to our young people, and do ministry with them. Um, Alina says, you know, don't do ministry for them, do it with them. Yeah, along um, them, yeah. yeah. Like, boy, you know, the, the, the way that that will bless not only the young per people, but also the, the older generation is beautiful. And, and really, I, 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 I want to start wrapping up here, but that's kind of the gist of growing young is that it's not about saying to the old people, all right, your time's done, move out of the way, right? No. It's yeah. about saying to the older generation, there's a younger generation here, let's work together. Mm. And when we work together, 
beautiful things happen for the kingdom of God. So it's not about sidelining anyone, but it's about bringing in the wisdom of the older generations and allowing it to be to flow beautifully into the younger generations so that they're they're learning from that and growing from that and then we're working together it's this beautifully synchronized intergenerational yeah. um, intimate connection that you're not going to find anywhere else in the world but you'll find it in the church yeah and it means every generation feels valued within the church and that's mm. what true community really is yeah amen that's so cool all right amy um, I wanted to ask you, I mentioned it before, maybe one practical tip on how a church, local church who's listening to this right now can empathize with their young people and prioritize them. Um, maybe something you've seen or something you've thought of um, that maybe they can start implementing right away. Yeah, well, um, it's something that my um, local church is kind of um, contemplating um, at the moment is it's got to do with the money thing, but setting aside, um, you know, possibly a budget that is for taking young people out for meals. Because I think that one hits a lot of nails on the, on the head because it is a form of mentoring. So just taking them out, even, you know, for a coffee, whether it's a coffee or not, doesn't matter. But, you know, going out <laughs> for coffee, um, going out for lunch and just hanging out with them, asking mm. them how they're going. Um, how how their relationships with other people and Jesus is going and um, how how's church going and just really connecting with them, finding ways that they can connect into the church community better and be involved and just really listening and having a chat um, and setting aside some money so that older people can actually do that. I just think that is just a really simple way i mean there's a lot of power of just sitting down and eating together um and it's a form of mentoring and, and empathizing and all of the ones that we talked about today it kind of you can incorporate all of that within having a meal together amen man that is cool i love that idea so kind of like a mentorship you know like a mentor mentorship budget in yeah. your local church. Yeah, that would be a great way. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. I love that idea. And wow. even if it is inviting them, like you said, over for pizza or whatever, but just being able to provide members just some finances so that they can do it and do it properly. Yeah, that's right. Yes, I, I love it. And and I, I love this because there is the occasional church member who's got like lots of chump change to spare. But yes. a lot of times in our churches, you know, people people don't. And yeah. maybe they would love, you know, like I've been there myself where it's like, oh, I would love to have a bunch of young people over my house, but we're a one income family and we, you know, we, we barely get enough food just to last us and our kids for the week. So, yeah. you know, <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, having that set aside so that people actually know, hey, we can do this. Um, it's, it's, that's really cool. Thanks Take for sharing. Take away big barrier. Yeah, so people yeah absolutely. Yeah. All right, Amy, before we wrap up, uh, people have been listening to this interview and uh, from all over the world. Um, I get messages from Czechoslovakia and America and Canada <laughs> and New Zealand and UK. Um, so people have been listening to this all over the world and they want to know, hey, I would love to get in touch with Amy mm -hmm. and maybe pick her brain a little more and yeah. uh, learn a little bit more about the kind of things we can um, do for our young people. Maybe even invite her to my church to preach um, after the whole, you know, time off from heaven. Yeah, after off, a little course. bit of maternity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but if someone wanted to get in touch with you, how can they do it? Um, yeah, a few ways. Um, I am on social media, so um, Facebook Messenger. I'm um, Amy Lee Turner, so A-M-Y. Um, L double E Turner. Um, so you can connect with me on Facebook Messenger. Um, email is always a good one. Um, Amy Turner at Adventist.org.au. They're probably the two best ways to get in contact with me. All right, beautiful. Now with yeah, Facebook Messenger. Instagram, yeah. Yep. Oh, sorry. I uh, were you? Well, yeah, it's just Amy Turner, actually, on my Instagram is also another way to connect and communicate. So. Uh, okay, so at Amy Turner. All right, sweet. Um, I was going to ask with the Facebook Messenger thing, um, so if someone just types in Amy Lee Turner in, like, the search, because I've never searched for someone on Facebook Messenger, so, but if someone just puts Amy Lee Turner, yeah, um, that's basically how it works. Okay, all right, cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. beautiful. All right, well, you heard it, guys. You want to get in touch with Amy? 
make sure you um, look her up on Facebook Messenger, Amy Lee Turner, or amyturner.evidence.org.au, or Instagram, at Amy Turner. And yep. um, remember, she's having a baby soon, so, you know, be kind. But uh, ladies, yeah, if I Amy, don't get that to you straight away, you'll know why. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, man. Amy, it was awesome having you on the podcast. Fascinating conversation, brilliant yeah. ideas. Thank you so much for taking the time to hang out at the Story Church podcast. Really appreciate it. And for those of you who were listening, thank you for you know taking another Monday or Tuesday or whatever day it is of your life to listen to another episode of this podcast. If you haven't had a chance yet, make sure you head over to thestorychurchproject.com. Get yourself a copy of the free ebook, How to Study the Bible with Postmoderns. It's awesome mostly because it's free. Uh, so thank you guys again, and I will catch you next week with a whole new episode. Until then, may God bless you as you seek to redesign your local Adventist church for missions.